The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to both do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. Verse 3. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore the kingdom, uh, again the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, and all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up. A cloud received him up out of the sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. They returned, they, then they returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke. Today is the last day in the Gospel of Luke. For me, it's goodbye to an old, old friend of many years. For you, it's relief. <laughs> we finally got to the last verses of Luke chapter 24. We're going to be looking in our Bibles at both Luke 24 and also back uh, to the scripture reading this morning, the book of Acts chapter number 1. And as we consider these last verses in the, in the uh, Gospel of Luke, it's a goodbye. Uh, it really is, in, in uh, many senses, a, a grand goodbye. As Jesus Christ is saying goodbye to the apostles, he's uh, heading back to heaven. And uh, having spent the years of his ministry with these uh, followers that are with him at his ascension. And uh, goodbyes... Uh, some goodbyes are just, uh, goodbye, we'll see you tomorrow. Uh, but some goodbyes are goodbye, and we may never see that person again. And uh, this is kind of, that kind of goodbye. Not that he'll never see them again, but not in their lifetime. Will their eyes ever look upon the face of Jesus Christ and be able to sit down at a dinner table with him and ask him questions and learn from his words. This is a huge event as Jesus Christ brings to a conclusion his life on earth with his followers. And, uh, and this goodbye is, um, is the kind of a goodbye where Jesus Christ takes the last opportunity to shape their perspective on life. Their perspective on what life is all about. You know, when, when, when people say goodbye, that may very well be uh, a, a significant goodbye, time-wise, 
relationship-wise, sometimes someone who's saying goodbye will take that opportunity to remind the person of some things that are really important. It's not exactly the same, but I see it play out something very similar. Whenever we leave Aggie, my wife takes very good care of our little dog, Aggie. She's been in the family for 12 years, and my wife takes very good care of her. She's fed regularly, specifically, exactly what she's supposed to be fed uh, and then she's given all the treats that aren't as specific. She's walked at certain times of the day. Uh, there are regimented things about Aggie's life that Betty controls. But when we're going somewhere and Aggie's not going to be with us for a day or two, and we leave Aggie with somebody, it is almost always the case where my wife packs a bag for Aggie. And the bag will have in it the specific foods she's to be fed and the specific treats she's to be given and then a list of instructions. Now she's already given all the instructions verbally before she agreed to leave Aggie under the care of that individual. But at the point of the goodbye, there is a written list of reminders. Reminders of exactly what Aggie needs, exactly when Aggie needs it and those last moment reminders are very important to my wife to shape the perspective of the person that's going to be in char uh, charged with the care of Aggie for that period of time in which Aggie is away from home. You know when Jesus Christ left the apostles he stopped to give them some reminders Reminders of things that he had already told them. Reminders of things that had already been taught. But he made some last moment reminders because it was one last opportunity to shape their perspective of the life that they would lead and what they would be expected to perform and to accomplish in their lives. And so when we come to the ascension of Jesus Christ, this really does consist of final reminders. Final reminders to shape the perspective of these individuals. In our recent messages, we have been focused on the Sunday evening of Jesus' resurrection day. And we looked at some passages of scripture where Jesus Christ met with his apostles on that last Sunday evening, or that first Sunday evening after his resurrection. And then Luke just jumps from that over to the ascension, which was 40 days later. He skips over 40 days and jumps right to the ascension. Now what happened on resurrection Sunday and for 40 days was that Jesus appeared in his resurrected body to numbers of people people, sometimes individuals, sometimes crowds of people. And these appearances occurred around, in and around Jerusalem and up to the north around the Sea of Galilee. And the Bible records 10 specific incidences where Jesus in his resurrected body appeared to his followers and to crowds of people. 
Luke jumps over all of that and jumps right to the day that Jesus Christ will ascend back to heaven. And he very briefly describes Jesus' ascension. In the book of Acts, which is the second volume of Luke's two-volume history on the life of Jesus Christ and his churches, in the first chapter of the book of Acts, Luke overlapped with the last chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And so Acts chapter 1 makes reference to the 40 days that Jesus had appeared to his followers, some things that Jesus Christ said to them, and then tells the details of the ascension. Now, what Luke shared in the Gospel of Luke and what Luke shared in the first chapter of the book of Acts, the overlap coincides and fits together to give us Luke's accounting of the ascension of Jesus Christ and putting the two overlapping passages together, we find that Jesus Christ made four references to remind them of what was important to shape their perspective of what was in front of them. I want you to know this morning that the bluff, the bottom line up front of the morning message, it is is this, it is important to have the right perspective. In any area of life, it is important to have the right perspective. It's important that the perspective that we have grow out of truth, grow out of reality. Because of a, lot of, a lot of people have a wrong perspective that grew out of incomplete or inaccurate information that caused them to have a perspective, but it wasn't the right perspective. Jesus Christ is taking this last opportunity before he ascends back to heaven to be able to remind the, uh, the followers of these four truths that will shape their perspective and launch them on course for what he expects for them to accomplish. And so Jesus Christ's ascension is a fitting and a powerful end to his earthly ministry. He had accomplished what the Father had sent him to do, and he had well-prepared an assembled group of believers to accomplish what needed to be accomplished in taking the message of the gospel to every creature around the world. So what will he remind them of in this moment before he ascends? And what will the angels remind them of who appeared And made statements. And what impact do these reminders have on the perspective of these followers of Jesus Christ? Well, I think we'll we'll learn that in these few moments looking at Luke's gospel and also in Acts chapter 1. So let's look at these reminders. The first reminder is simply this. It's not over. It's just begun. And if you, have, if you keep your finger in both Luke and Acts so that we can jump back and forth a little bit. In Acts chapter 1 and in verse number 6, after 40 days with Jesus Christ, learning about the kingdom. He had said earlier in Acts 1 
that he had spent 40 days speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So in verse number 6, the disciples say to Jesus, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? Are you, is it time? We're excited. We're excited about the kingdom of our God being established on earth. These apostles had just come through a 40-day seminary course taught by Jesus Christ himself on the subject of the kingdom of God on earth. The kingdom that the Old Testament prophets had prophesied about. The kingdom that Jesus had taken these apostles through the Old Testament. He started with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Then he met on that first Sunday night with the gathered church. And he spoke to them and he went through the Old Testament. Teaching them how the Old Testament and all of the prophetic scriptures about the coming kingdom and the coming Messiah... Jesus showed the followers how they all pertain to him and how they all fell into place. And now, after hearing this for 40 days, the apostles are ready for the kingdom. They are ready for the kingdom to be started right now. They weren't expecting Jesus to leave. They were expecting Jesus to establish, are you going to establish the kingdom at this time? We are ready. What we've lived for. It's time, Lord. Are you going to establish it now? And what Jesus Christ revealed to them was that it's not over yet. It's just begun. All the work about providing for the kingdom is over. The crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ completed the work of the Father to provide salvation to everyone. And those who would be born again would be born into the kingdom of God, Jesus Christ told Nicodemus. The work of providing for the salvation that would bring people into the kingdom is over. But the work of taking that message to the world to prepare the kingdom subjects, the citizens of the kingdom. The work of taking that message to the world to prepare the citizens who will be a part of that kingdom is just beginning. There have been people saved all over Israel. The followers of Jesus have all been saved. But it's not over. It's just begun. And Jesus Christ told the disciples in, in Acts chapter 1. He said, you got the right idea. There is a kingdom coming. It's going to be on this earth. It's going to center around Jerusalem, around Israel. You've got the right idea. But it's not for you to know the timing of when it will occur. Because there's something that needs to be done before that time draws near. It's not time for celebrating the kingdom. It's just begun. That is the work of preparing the people who will be the kingdom has just begun. There's a second reminder. The second reminder also comes in part from Acts 1 and also from Luke 24. The second reminder is that you have work to do before the kingdom is established. It's not for you to understand the timing 
but it is for you to understand what you need to be doing as you wait for the kingdom to be restored. So in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus said, You will receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, the uttermost part of the earth. Jesus Christ said to the followers, It's only just begun because you have work to do. And the work that you have to do is going to be a global work. It'll start in Jerusalem. But it's not going to end in Jerusalem. It's going to go out into Samaria. It's going to go out to the uttermost part of the earth. It's, you, you've got a work to do that is expansive. Jesus Christ had told them something very similar in, in the last chapter of Luke. In Luke 24, if you have your finger in that, select, that place, look at verse 47. Luke 24, verse 47. Jesus said, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and ye are witnesses of these things. Jesus Christ said to his followers, hey, it's not time to celebrate. We're not starting, the, we're not establishing the kingdom here today. It's just, the work has just begun. You have work to do. And the work that you have to do is a work of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, bringing people to repentance so their sins can be remitted and this must be done unto all nations. So they're reminded of the work that is in front of them. You know, it's been 2,000 years since Jesus reminded his followers at his ascension that they had a job to do and that it was an expansive job that would encircle the entire globe. It's been 2,000 years and every generation of Christians have been working on that job and we continue to work on that job and we continue to have work to do to accomplish that job and our community cares and our community grows, our mechanisms of, of, of mobilizing the community Baptist church family that we might do our part in the great enterprise of churches all over the world, that we might do our part of accomplishing this work that must be done preceding Jesus Christ establishing his kingdom. You see, Jesus is shaping their perspective of life. It's not time to celebrate. It's only begun. You've got a work to do that is going to spread all over the entire world. And that's got to be your perspective. There's a third reminder. The third reminder from Acts chapter 1, the third reminder is that he's coming back. Aren't you glad Jesus is coming back? When he left the apostles on the mountain... He didn't leave them there to fend for themselves. He gave them the Holy Spirit and a promise that he's going to come back. We read about it in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 9. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. Can you imagine? All of a sudden, Jesus is reminding them of these things. He's reminding them of the key things he wants to be at the very top of their mind, shaping their perspective as he leaves. And while he's talking, all of a sudden, it looks as if, it looks as if he's, could he be? Thomas? Is Jesus growing? Is he, he's seven foot tall. He's eight foot tall. He's nine foot tall. 
No, he's not growing, he's ascending. And they, and they stand back and they, and they just stare up into the sky, watching him go up into the clouds. And the Bible says in verse number 10, that while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Oh, they, were, they, were, they were just staring, shocked, amazed. And, and, and all of a sudden, two angels uh, appear to them and the angels give them perspective give them clarity give them understanding as to what is happening this same Jesus that you see going up into heaven he's going to come back to earth that is a perspective shaping reminder Jesus is coming back you know, that's one, of the, that's one of the great clarion calls of New Testament Christianity. Jesus is coming again. We sing songs about it. We hear sermons about it. We hear people talk about it. He's coming back. And it's an exciting reality that Jesus is coming again. And that reality shapes your perspective on life. I want you to notice a couple of things that he says. He says, number one, he says, this same Jesus... This same Jesus, not some other Jesus, not some Jesus of man's concoction. This same Jesus, this same Jesus whose life and work has been thoroughly recorded in Luke's gospel. This same Jesus that we followed through his life and ministry. We've listened to his sermons. We've been amazed at his teaching. We've observed his interaction with humanity. This same Jesus is coming back. This crucified risen, ascended Jesus is coming back. And he's coming back in the same manner as you've seen him go. That's what the angel said in verse number 11. This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. He went up bodily, he's coming back bodily his body is coming back his glorified body in which can have you ever thought about the reality uh, this this goes into the nature of Jesus Christ in his humility uh, when he became human Jesus existed from eternity past but he didn't have a body like God the Father and like God the Spirit he was spirit the Bible says that God does not have a body that God is spirit when Jesus Christ became human, a body was prepared for him through the miracle of the virgin birth, enabling the birthed one to not be contaminated by the sin nature that the Bible says is passed down from father to child, from father to child. Ladies, you're off the hook. From father to child, from father to child, down through the generations since Adam and Eve, a, a miracle body was prepared for Jesus Christ by the virgin birth of Mary. And Jesus Christ became human. And when he became human, he had a human body. He ate, he slept, he drank, he, he got tired, he got exhausted, he had to rest. He humiliated himself. 
as eternal God, omnipotent, omnipresent, uh, omniscient, uh, God became human and, and humiliated himself in becoming man. But do you realize he will forever have that body? That was, that was for the rest of eternity. Jesus Christ humiliated himself in becoming man. Now his body is a glorified body as we learned a couple of weeks ago. An amazing glorified body but it's still a body. And he's coming back to earth in the same manner as you've seen him go. This same Jesus. He's coming back with that same glorified body. He'll come back to this earth just like you've seen him go. That same Jesus is coming back to this earth. And he's coming back right here where you watched him leave. Which is a fulfillment of Zechariah. You may want to just turn back. I want to read the verse. It's the next to the last book of the Old Testament. Zechariah, then Malachi, then Matthew. The next to the last book of the Old Testament is Zechariah. And in Zechariah chapter number 14, the Old Testament preacher talked about Jesus Christ, the Messiah... And talked about a day in which this earth will be plunged into a worldwide chaos and war against Israel. Zechariah said in Zechariah 14, 1, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, houses rifled, women ravished. Half the city shall go forth to captivity, the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth. Notice the word Lord's in all capital. Jehovah God shall go forth and fight against the nations as when he fought in the day of battle and his feet, he still has feet, he's still in a human body, and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives which is before Jerusalem on the east and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley and half the mountain shall remove toward the north and half toward the south. You see this same Jesus is coming back in like manner to the very spot where he ascended. Jesus had taken the, his followers out of Jerusalem over the crest of the Mount of Olives to the village of Bethany. Could you give, go ahead and give me that picture? I, I forgot about uh, to ask for that. They had left Jerusalem. They'd come over the peak of the Mount of Olives on the backside of the Mount of Olives to the, to the vicinity of the village of Bethany and that's where the ascension took place. And the angel said this same Jesus is coming back in like manner as you've seen him go. The Old Testament prophet Zechariah said his feet will land on the Mount of Olives. And when he comes back the second time and his feet touch the Mount of Olives, the Mount of Olives is going to split into two. It's going to move to the east and the west, leaving the north on one side and the south of it on the other side. And Jesus Christ will come back in order to establish his kingdom on earth, defeating the armies that march against Jerusalem, saving Israel from annihilation, and establishing his kingdom on earth. This same 
Jesus. If you're still there in Zechariah 14, by the way, glance down to verse number 9. Zechariah 14, verse number 9 says, And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord and his name one. He's coming back. He's establishing his kingdom. And he will be the Lord over all the earth. He's coming back. He wants that to shape the perspective of his followers moving forward. I want you to know, Jesus said, it's not time to celebrate the kingdom. It's not time. It's only begun. You've got a job to do. It's taken 2,000 years so far to do that job. It involves the entire world. But the day's going to come when he's coming back to the Mount of Olives to rescue Israel and to establish his kingdom on earth. He is coming back. I want to read a portion of that in the book of Revelation. You may want to turn back there with me to Revelation chapter 11. I want to read to you. The, from the last book of the Bible, what the Bible teaches about Jesus Christ coming back to establish his kingdom on earth. Revelation chapter 11 ends the tribulation period. And then there are some parenthetical sections giving uh, greater detail of some of the specific parts of the tribulation period that run from chapter 12 to the end of chapter uh, 18. But chapter 11 ends the tribulation period in the, w w when you take the parenthetical sections of Revelation out. Once you notice what is said, Revelation chapter 11, verse number 15, the Bible says, The seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. That's in front of us. Jesus says to his apostles, I want you to have a right perspective on life. I want you to understand it's not time to celebrate. There's a lot, we, we've just started. There's a, a job to be done that's going to take a couple of thousand years. But I'm coming back. And when I come back, I'm going to establish my kingdom on earth. And I will be God and king of this world. All of my creation will be under my total control and kingship. I will come back and establish my kingdom on earth. Can I show you a little bit more from Revelation about this? Skip the parenthetical sections and come to the beginning of chapter 19. Chapter 19, we have again the chronology picking up with the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I want to come down to verse number 11. Revelation 19 and verse 11. The Bible says, I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed in a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. By the way, do you remember who wrote the book of Revelation? You remember he wrote a gospel too? You remember what the gospel starts out with in John 1? Verse 1, John 1 in verse 1, he started out by saying, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word 
was God. And the same was in the beginning with God. And then you skip down a little further in the chapter. He says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And now John, the same one, God using to inspire the writing of the revelation, says that his name is called the word of God. By the way, do you know John also wrote some epistles? You know what John, the first John, the first epistle of John, chapter 5 tells us, First John chapter 5 tells us that there is the, there is, uh, my mind just went blank. What does it say? And the three are one. It says, for there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. There are three persons. The person of God the Father, the person called the Word of God, and the person called the Holy Spirit, and these three persons are one God. The only doctrinal statement of the Trinity found in your Bible in a doctrinal letter stating the definition of what the Trinity is, these three persons are one God, and that middle person's name is the Word of God. The one who became flesh and dwelt among us. The one in whom we beheld the glory of the Father. Jesus Christ is coming back on a white horse. And the armies which are in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword and with it he should smite the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. He treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. The angel said, he's coming back. This needs to shape your perspective on life. He's coming back. And when he comes back to this earth, now this, I'm not talking about him coming to the clouds. He's going to just descend into the atmosphere and catch us up. But that's not the second coming to the earth. He's coming back to the earth. His feet will land on the Mount of Olives. He will come with an army. He will defeat all of the amassed armies of the world who are trying to annihilate the nation of Israel. He will rescue Israel from annihilation. And he will establish his kingdom on earth. And from that day, he will be king of kings and lord of lords and rule on his earth. He says, I, I want you to have a right perspective on life. And the perspective is this. It's not time to celebrate. We've just begun. We've got a work to do. But he's coming back to this earth to establish the kingdom that the apostles were asking him about in Acts chapter 1 verse 6. Is it time to establish, to restore the kingdom to Israel. No, it wasn't time. But the time is coming. And so the book of Revelation ends at the very end of the book of Revelation with a prayer. And the prayer is, even so come Lord Jesus. Even so come Lord Jesus. We're so looking forward to sin being destroyed. We're so looking forward to the enemies of God Meeting their end. 
We're so looking forward to the kingdom of God being established. We're so looking forward to an environment that operates under the righteous rule of a righteous God. We are so excited about the future. That's our perspective on life. But there's one last reminder. And the last reminder is that his blessing is with you. Let me go back to Luke chapter 24 again. Luke chapter 24. The Bible tells us that Jesus took them out to Bethany. He lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass while he blessed them, he was parted from them. The very moment in which Jesus Christ was ascending before them and they were looking at him go up into heaven, his his Arms were outstretched, his hands were lifted up, and he blessed them. And as he blessed them, he was departed from them. What is this blessing? This is not a generic statement. Oh, bless you, bless your heart. The southern, oh, bless your heart. (laughs) The southern generic statement. This isn't a generic statement. And he blessed them. Okay, great, he blessed them. This is rich, and he blessed them. This is a reminder of his promise to provide, to protect, to use, to empower. This is a reminder that his blessings will fill them through their lives as he continues his work. He had had already made promises to them about what was going to happen. Matthew's record of the promises that Jesus made to them in Matthew 28 actually Matthew's record was while he was still up in Galilee appearing to all of the people and in Matthew's record of what Jesus said Jesus sent them to all the world to preach the gospel to every creature and he says and lo I am with you always even to the end of the world that's a blessing The blessing of his presence. The blessing that I will be with you. Always. Even to the end of the world. But just a minute. Sometimes when you see that word world, your mind thinks of the globe. So if I leave Virginia and go to California, he'll be with me. If I take the gospel down to Mexico, he'll be with me. If I take the gospel up to Canada, he'll be with me. If I take the gospel over to Africa, he'll be with me. If I take the gospel over to Asia, he'll be with me. Unto the end of the world, he'll be with me. Now, it is true that he will be. But that's not what that promise is. The word translated world is the word for a period of time. A period of time. Jesus Christ said, I will be with you all the way under the end of this period of time. This world in which you will live. This world of time in which you will live. Until I come back, I will be with you as you preach the gospel to every creature. This is a blessing of his presence, his protection, his power, his enablement, his usefulness. He will be with me. And he blessed them because he wanted to remind them. He wanted to shape their perspective that they will never be without his presence. 
He will always be there blessing, empowering, helping. Right until the end of the age. He is with us. Ephesians chapter 1 has one of the greatest uh, presentations of the multifaceted blessing of God. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3, the Bible says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings. Blessed be God who has blessed us. Jesus, when he ascended, he wanted to remind them. He wanted to shape their perspective so they would never forget, I am with you, blessing you always unto the end of the age. In Ephesians chapter 1, this great statement, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings, breaks out into three stanzas, as if it was an ancient hymn, with three stanzas. And a common chorus repeated three times at the end of each stanza. The common chorus was, To the praise of His glory. To the praise of His glory. To the praise of His glory. And each of the stanzas is all about one of the members of the triune God. The first stanza is, blessed be God the Father who has blessed us. And here's how he's blessed us. And the second stanza is, blessed be Jesus Christ who has blessed us. And here's how he blessed us, to the praise of his glory. And then the third stanza is about the person of the Holy Spirit, how he's blessed us. And ends with, to the praise of his glory. The blessings that come from the Father, the blessings that come from the Son, and the blessings that come from the Holy Spirit are real, tangible blessings that shape our perspective of life. If you were to study Ephesians chapter 1, you would find those three stanzas promised, and I, I put them down for you there on your little sermon worksheet. God the Father blessed me with a purpose for my life. You can read about those blessings in Ephesians 1. God the Son provided for me a solution for my problem of sin. And God the Holy Spirit blessed me with a guarantee of my future presence with God in heaven. I've got a purpose for my life. I've got a solution to my problem. And I've got a guarantee of heaven. And those three encompass the breadth of the blessings of God into our lives that God wants to use to shape our perspective of life. We are a blessed people as Jesus with outstretched arms and hands lifted up, ascending up into the clouds. I am blessing you. I will always bless you. You will always have my blessings. And he left them with a reminder that would shape them in their perspective of life, that God is a God of great blessing. It's not over. We've just begun. You've got a lot of work to do. When it's done, I'm coming back. And during that scope of time in which you do the work, I'm blessing you with my presence and provision and help and aid throughout your life. Let me close Luke chapter 24 this morning with a statement, what an impact. 
what an impact these reminders had on them. Look one last time at Luke 24, verse number 52. And they worshipped him. You know, that's the first time in the Gospel of Luke that records the life of Jesus Christ from before he was born until the moment he ascended to heaven. This is the only time in all of the record of Christ's life and ministry that Luke recorded his followers worshipped him. They watched him die. They panicked and hid. He appeared before them. He taught them that skeleton that we preached on of what would characterize the church age that he was launching with New Testament Christianity. He spent 40 days proving beyond anyone's doubt that he was real, he was resurrected, he was physical, you could touch him, he ate food, he was real, and he was resurrected, he conquered death for us. And after 40 days, he goes to that mountain, that, that hill of, of, of the Mount of Olives, and as he ascends up into heaven, he reminds them of the, of the things that he wants to shape their perspective. And as he ascends up, they begin to worship him. They understand him better than they've ever understood him before. They see him like they've never seen him before. They are impacted like they've never been impacted before. And they explode in worship of the one who saved them from their sin. And has a future for them that will last throughout all of eternity. What an impact. And they worshipped him. What an impact on their life. Heartfelt, real worship emanating from deep within their souls. As followers, they worshipped him. Staring up into heaven as he faded from view. And then Luke says that they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. They went back to Jerusalem. They went back to Jerusalem, but they're overcome with deep joy. They are so excited. They are bubbling with excitement. They are just beside themselves with joy. They can hardly live with themselves. They are so excited about what Jesus Christ has done and is doing through their lives. They're excited with great joy as they go back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the center of Jesus' opposition. The very ones that the apostles so feared that they were hiding behind locked doors. They went back to Jerusalem, but not just to Jerusalem. Luke Verse number 53, the last verse of Luke, says they were continually in the temple. They went back to the very temple platform that just about a month and a half ago, Jesus Christ, when he went on that platform, he saw on the latter part of Palm Sunday, he saw the, the bazaar of Annas in full operation with all of the desecration of the temple, 
with the buying and selling of animals, ripping people off, exchanging money, robbing from the poor, uh, enabling the hypocritical religious leaders. And Jesus Christ was sick of what he saw on the temple platform. And so he came back the next day and he cleaned house. He made a whip. He kicked over tables. He drove people out. How dare you make my father's house a place of merchandise? The temple platform just 40 days ago was the scene of Jesus Christ attacking the religion of Israel in its apostasy. And the very next day, Tuesday, the religious leaders locked horns with Jesus and condemned him for what he did and set in motion the arrest and murder of Jesus Christ in just a few days. The temple platform, the religious leaders, it's only been 40 days. And they go back to the very heart of the hatred of Jesus Christ. And what does Luke tell us they did? They went there continually, not just a brief pass through. They kept going back and kept going back and kept going back and kept going back. And what were they doing? They were praising and blessing God. They were testifying to the religious establishment that murdered Jesus Christ 40 days earlier. They went back filled with joy, praising God, blessing God, bragging on God. When the Bible says they were blessing God, the word translated blessing is the word from which we get our word eulogize. It's a eulogy. It's bragging on somebody that's, we use it in the sense of a funeral, bragging on someone that's died. They're going back and they're eulogizing Jesus Christ on the very temple that he cleaned house on 40 days earlier with excitement, with, with, with ecstasy. They are excited, praising God and eulogizing Jesus Christ at the very core of Satan's stronghold in bringing Jesus Christ to his death. What an impact. The perspective that they had because of the reminders that were brought to them left them worshiping like they'd never worshipped before. Left them filled with the emotion of joy like they probably never experienced before. And took them to the heart of Satan's stronghold to brag on Jesus and praise him for what he had done. What an impact the ascension of Jesus Christ had on that body of believers. A fitting and powerful conclusion to the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. A perspective-shaping reminder of what life is all about.